Hello, everybody. So happy to be with you today, and thank you, Janet Lee. I can honestly declare that I felt the Holy Spirit as you were playing those songs. And that's what your lesson of songs was about today, how that the Holy Spirit can touch a person. And God uses the medium of music, the medium of voice, the medium of our emotions and feelings and caring about one another. God bless you, and hello, everybody. Here's what I want to ask you. Here's what I want to say. I want to ask you to endure. <laughs> As the Bible says, he that shall be saved is he that endureth unto the end. Now, today, I'm going to get into a lot of deep-minded things. And, you know, I know some of these things are, are, are heavy thoughts. And there's people that will say, <clears throat> I just don't understand math or I don't understand this deep kind of thing. And, and, uh, and, and it's, you know, difficult for them. They have certain questions. But I want to encourage you to believe that you will learn these things I'm teaching. And as I said before, we're planning on using these very teachings to grade people for our correspondence Bible college once we get it operating again. And people will be able to get uh, legitimate degrees and, and, and even, uh, you know, a um, certificate uh, so that uh, they can be licensed to minister. That day is coming. Let me talk a little bit about myself so we have an understanding. I am a scientist of sorts. I have a special understanding of chemistry, of molecular biology, of the application of um, atomic lattice, and other various kinds of application uh, of insight that has to do uh, with the disciplines and the arts. I've 23 years of groping through the dark hall of all that information. And I discovered that there comes a time in your life when you know so much that you know hardly anything at all. And I can remember times reading the Bible, and I've worn out dozens of Bibles from reading them. I can remember reading and taking every scripture in, inhale, exhaling it. And I remember when the Holy Spirit or an angelic experience or a a presence of Jesus Christ experience or a revelation of God using some other medium of a person saying something they didn't even know they were saying. And my mind would open up and say, my God, I read that scripture 
dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And I couldn't ever see that before. I couldn't get that understanding before. But when the Holy Spirit lit the fire, instantly my mind could conceive it. And then I would say, oh, how dumb, how dumb could I be that I didn't see those things? How dumb. So with all my background in the disciplines, I want to make something clear to you. I do not give the, the credit to the insights I have to knowing these disciplines that I do. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that there are not helps by knowing those things. But I'm saying that to really get into knowing the, the depth of the truth, to really get into knowing the things that are by the Spirit of God, is a totally different mind. And so sometimes I call myself dumbhead, and I don't feel it, you know, that I'm out of line to call myself that because this mortal flesh in many ways is dumb. And I'm not talking about that you may not be able to calibrate some extensive multiplex or Googleplex. But I'm talking about understanding what life is about as regards knowing those things and the application of them. Because that is the real, the real set of factors that governs the reality of what life is about. Now, there are some people that think you don't need to discuss any numbers. And those are people that are blind and are, in, are dumb heads, just like I have been many times. And they just don't see. They just don't hear. They just don't get it. Because they have a mind block, which all people do get. And I want you to understand that if you're ever going to overcome those mind blocks, you have to be open-minded to the Holy Spirit. And I'm confessing that these incredible revelations, some of which I'm going to get into today, that's just going to knock your shoes off, are by the Holy Spirit. And not because Jerry Lee is so smart. Jerry Lee is a dumbhead. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes in that I change from this creature that I am. And you know, one thing that I will give myself credit for and pat myself on the back for, at least I have enough smarts to understand that and to know that. Therefore, I have never been interested in being famous. I have never been interested in people looking up on me like I'm some kind of a superior human being. Because I know that without the Holy Spirit, I'm a dumbhead. That all of the consistencies and, and constitutional uh, concepts, that without the true arrow of the Holy Spirit, they don't even hit the target bracket. I know that. And I want to praise 
the name of the living God. And I want to thank Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I want to say how much that I love my Lord and how good and faithful He has been to me. And if I can pass on these things that God has given me to the listeners of the human race, and this word can live, then I will be so gratified. One of the main ministries that God has given me is the saving of the Bible. Because we live in an age that there is a continuous diminishing of the Word of God. And much of the Word has been banished by improper interpretations that are full of disinformation. I believe that God can use anyone who is willing, though they be just as a stick, God can use them and anoint that stick and they can be used to stand in the gap. And that is what my ministry is. And so today, some of these things might seem just a little bit complicated. Please, please be patient. Please. And give me time because a lot of what I'm trying to do now is to get this stuff recorded. And I thank God for Larry and Betty McDonald who have been recording these messages. I am so deeply in a yearning of thankfulness that words could never describe my appreciation. And I praise and thank God for the health that he has given me and my wife and my family so that even though we are in an older age of eldership, yet we function as much younger people. Thank you, Jesus. I do not take that for granted. Now, people will say, why would God take billions of years instead of 24-hour days to create the heavens and the earth and their occupants? And then I could say or ask, why would God take 24-hour days when he could just create everything instantly in a blink of an eye? Why? Because God, you see, is eternal. And time has no factoring with him except as he uses it out in the physical world metaphorically to teach people by physical patterns certain patterns of heavenly understanding. And this thing of time is a universal thing, a earthly thing, a physical thing. Because in the heaven of heavens, there is no time. There is no time recognition at all. 
Happenings just go on from happenings to happenings, occurrences to occurrences, living to living, glory to glory, peace unto peace, joy unto joy, power unto power. And that's how it is. And so there is a factor of importance of this long truth of the mystery of the time. And I've been preaching this, and I will continue to preach it because it is the true word of God. And the people today that are in these short, urgent issues of time that do not understand the mystery of the time, they are preaching and, and a disinformation. And that disinformation is getting lodged in the matrices of time. So that they are clogged up without being aware of it. And so I'm going to show you today from the Bible. You notice that I don't go off into strange, you know, exotic works. Some of which are very good for sure. But I stick right in the Bible and I show you these things from the Bible. And how many times I have been told, you can't get answers like that. It's not in the Bible. It just was never written. And I say, oh, yes, you can. And then I show people. And they're flabbergasted. And their mouths opens, And their tongue droops. And their eyes look starey. And they're shocked. That might happen to you today before we are finished with this incredible revelation upon revelation. A fellow said to me the other day, I have known you for over 35 years and listened to your sermons and preaching. And I can't remember a single solitary sermon that you have ever preached that I've heard that did not have new revelation in it every time I heard you preach. Wow. But it is true. Because the Holy Spirit exercises itself to bring forth this word, some of it metaphorically, some of it revelationally, some of it transcendentally. It all has its place in the Beatitudes. There are so many things that people get mixed up on. Like, for instance, the story of Gilgamesh and his Babylonian story of the Ark. Even, you could say, his story was before the Babylonian era. And we could look into this, and we could say, well, is that where the story that Moses wrote about the, the Ark in Genesis came from? Well, for instance, some of the people that have said that, made that claim, have quoted the tablets, the tables of, of Ebla, which belonged to Sargon. But they have confused which Sargon king it was. And they confuse the the 
Lan, or the Akalan king, Sargon the Great, 2400 years BC, with the Assyrian Sargon, number two, which is 1700 years later. Making their idea who wrote the story about the Ark based on their assumption to be totally false. And Moses to obviously have been a alive and written his story long, long before the Gilgamesh verses based on that kind of reasoning. There is so much that needs to be understood. We're going to talk about it today. I've received three new kinds of math. One of those methods of of math incorporate prime numbers. And that being a special application of them. One day, holy manifest wise ones. I don't say wise men because it's going to include ladies and men. I say holy manifest wise ones are going to rise and be able to, to preach and minister on these things. When we talk in the book of Revelations about the number 144,000, and people say, oh, those numbers, those, you know. Hey, in your human body, there are billions and billions of atoms. In your brain, the neural network has trillions, trillions of incremental workshop pieces of God-given anatomy. And interestingly enough, if you really get into anatomy and biology, you will discover that the number 144,000 144, is represented in actual use in the human body's molecular-wise system, or molecular system period. When you say that numbers aren't important, hey, when you go down to take your blood pressure and you're not feeling well, do you say numbers are not important when they tell you what, what your number is? And they say, oh, you're 180 over 105. You think that's not an important number to know? <laughs> that means you might be getting close to a stroke. But if they tell you you're 120 over 70, you're laughing. You're happy. You're an athlete. Numbers are involved in almost everything that you do. Now, just because somebody is a scientist, just because somebody is a chemist or a mathematician, and you say, oh, well, I get involved with these creation scientists that are telling me about what I want to believe. Hey, just because those guys have some scientific background and education and chemistry doesn't mean they're right. For instance, in early chemistry, those people were very bright persons and, and advanced with much technical data. However, mathematically, they in the past many times had difficulty understanding certain depths of applied mathem uh, mathematics. For instance, 
regarding atomic weights. The equivalent weight of carbon and oxygen were 3 and 8. Respectfully, however, the atomic weights were 12 and 16. So they were dibbling with the the numbers 3 and 8 and missing out on this respective understanding of math of the 12 and 16. And even further, respectfully, the molecular weight of oxygen was 32. So chemists using their their math methods fell short in the organic chemistry where molecular molecular aspects contained dozens of atoms. The answers brought on confusion, difficulty, error, and was not able to procure the exact and absolute reality of fact. So the liberation of truth and true insights of factual reality over the ages of science have been fraught with many incorrect assumptions. I'm not taking anything away from the science, the scientists. I applaud them for many of their discoveries and many of their applications. But we can't make a god out of them. And we can't think that just because they are titled in certain disciplines that that gives them the ability in addition to knowing long and tedious processes that they have really by them discovered the ultimate secrets of nature and of God. Yes, there's things that they can teach and we know, for instance, that every 100 atoms in the Earth's crust, in the dust, of every 100 atoms in the Earth's crust, 62.5, 62.5 are oxygen atoms. Let's get that. Of of every 100 atoms in the Earth's crust, of every 100 atoms, 62.5 are oxygen atoms. Someone says, well, is that important to know? Well, you like breathing, don't you? You like breathing. So I hope that it's important to you. Genesis. Where did we get Genesis? We got it from from God through through Noah. Someone says, "Oh, I understood that that was totally, um, you know, mythologized and made into mythology by the scribes, the bishops, and scholars that were brought into Babylonian captivity." Oh, yeah, they did some things. But they didn't write the book of Genesis. They didn't even know how to write these things. These things were incredible revelations. And they have been hidden in this invisible Bible because of the sins of the people. They've even lost how to pronounce the Tetragrammaton. So Genesis came through Moses. I think I said Noah, but I actually meant Moses. And what I meant to say is the revelation of Noah, which we'll talk about in a little bit, was a revelation of God through Moses. But I jumbled it up a little bit. We got it straight, though. 
You know, when you even talk about the genealogies of the Bible, if you get in if you get into it based on God's accounting, is it ever another thing? For instance, in the first chapter of the book of St. Matthew, the Bible says in verse one, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, if you are doing something in genealogy, and you are taking someone being the son of a person, you are figuring that based on the genealogy of the turnover rate from from father to son, and these represent a particular kind of accounting. But when you start saying, here's Jesus, and he's the son of David, and there are thousands of people that have lived between the time of David and Jesus. And when you say, he's also the son of Abraham, oh my, there's millions of people between them. And then now you have a parallel. You have him being the son of two fathering epics. The David epic, the Abraham epic father being the son of. And then the Holy Spirit even gets in there. You have the genealogy given in Matthew as though Joseph is the literal flesh father who sired Jesus. And that's the genealogy that's given. But Luke gives a different genealogy, brings it through a different source of people, which is basically, some scholars say, a genealogy of Mary. Because they didn't know how to give the genealogy that would refer to being the son of the Holy Ghost. Now, when you are dealing with genealogy information like that, ladies and gentlemen, then come on. You think that's simple, Simon? You think that's a simplex? And you've got things like in Matthew one twenty, Joseph, the son of David. This is talking about Joseph, who was the, who married, eventually married uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he is the son of David. But you've also got Jesus Christ being the son of David, which based on that, and that's in Matthew 1.1, makes Joseph and David brothers. Someone says, well, how can that be? Well, it can be, because Joseph's the son of David, 
and Jesus Christ is the son of David, they would be brothers. That's scriptural. And then you've got this thing that has a lot to do with the number thirds. In Zechariah 12, 8 through 9, it says, Two thirds shall be cut off, and one third remain, and go through the fire. Then you have in the book of Generations, or pardon me, the book of Revelations, all of these incredible things about the one-third. Now, I'm not going to get into that today because that'll be a message later, but it's a very, very important. Last week, what was I talking about? Last week, I talked about, uh, you know, this thing about fractions, and I said, you know, you have to be careful because you don't know sometimes in the Bible when a number is given, if it's a whole number uh, or, if, or if it's an arbitrary number or, or if it's a, f- a fraction. And some people say, oh, there's no fractions in the Bible. You're wrong. Of course there are fractions. When you say one-third of the angels in the 12th chapter of Revelations, one-third of the angels fell from heaven to the earth, one-third is a fraction. So it's very important that it is a fraction because to find out what the whole truth of that is, you have to understand if you've got one-third, there's two-thirds left. And then that leads you to the revelation of the three groups of angels that came to this galaxy to create. The one-third that was the cherubims, the one-third that was the seraphims, and the one-third that was the ophanims. The ophanims fell, that was one-third. And you get into all those kind of things. Now, a while back I did a teaching on the angelic factors. Now, don't, don't, don't get antsy-pantsy here. Just bear with me, please. And the Bible says in Revelations 5.9, And the number of them, the Ophanian angels, was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, or myriad is the word that it used, which means 10,000, from the Greek word myrias, meaning 10,000. And so I was able to show that if you take that 10,000 times 10,000, you know, it multiplies t- to the point that your numbers end up being a considerably large number. 100 with a set of six zeros. So if we take the 10,000, we've got 10 and a comma and zero zero zero. Now if you were just dealing strictly, uh, you know, with um, exponential numbers, um, it would be figured differently. You wouldn't do like what I did here, where I took the three zeros of the 10,000 plus the one zero of the, of the 10 and used it as four zeros. But I'm using it uh, in, in um, connection with the power of 10. And if you know anything about the power of 10, you can do that. You can take, you can take those 10, 10 numbers and you can put that uh, in a superscript of a 10 with, with a, a 4, meaning it has four zeros. But that's in the power of the superscript. Now, 
let me get it straight, and you won't, some of you understand this, but we are not using specific, conclusive, or exclusive mathematical exponential values. We are not using specific, conclusive, exclusive, mathematical exponential values. We are using logistical values of the power of 10, which is connected to one of my new maths called logistical rhythmatics, which one day I will explain to you. And so then we showed that if you take the the factor one, which is 10 with super um, script, four, and you the factor two, which is the product of 10, four times 10, four, and you're using the word of, where the Bible says taking thousands of thousands, you use that, which you can do, uh, as as a, a multiplication factor, and you multiply then the the product of ten four times ten four, which gives you ten eight. And we're talking now power of ten. We're just talking that it it it, you know, we're not turning it into, to a number that you might expect it to if you were using exponential. We are basically we are basically. It's more of an like an addition, addition, uh, you know, uh, and and uh, it's a special kind of multiplication based on fractions. And so, we end up with 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 the final bottom line equaling ten twelve, ten with a superscript of twelve, which equals one trillion angels. That is such an important revelation. That tells. That tells how many uh, ophanims there were in the host of or ophanims of the Lord. There was a trillion. Now, there's all kinds of scripture for this. But in this process, the first zero keeps the number in the ten. And the next three numbers puts all the zeros in the thousands. And at that point, no fractions. Ten, then, is ten but if you add it and made it 1-1, one, one, then you'd be talking about 11. So if you've added a 1,000, you say, um, you, you say, you could say 10,000, and you can make it 100,000 by adding 10, comma, 1, 0, 0, comma, 0, 0, 0. But, you know, it's so interesting because... If you did put this into a fraction, say for instance, and you made it so that it was um, ten with a comma one point five zero, and that could be that could be written out uh, uh, very very precisely uh, to mean the the actual uh, negative thing, uh, which it would be written like this. It would be written 0.0001 equal 10 minus 4. So, we showed you that 10.4 and 10.4 equal 10.8.
or 10 4 plus 4 with the superscript equal 10 8. This can be considered exponential in a certain sense, but not exponential in, in the deep math that I was referring exponential to be, re, uh, be uh, corroborated with. And uh, so I'm not, you know, trying to explain every technical aspect of this because it would just get too much into math for now. But I'm trying to show you that because that is so important. Now, um, we know then that in the genealogies of the Bible and in the math of the Bible, there are some strange things. But we find, for instance, and I'll say these two things, it'll be a little bit, and then we'll take a break. But we know that, for instance, in God's account at genealogy, in Matthew's 22.30, it talks about people that are not counted in the, in, in the genealogy. So we know that in the genealogy, there are people that have not been acceptable to God to be even counted in the genealogy. Those are factors that affect the length of, of time. And then there's more to look at. In Luke 21, 35 and 36, and Luke 22 and 24, and Numbers 23 and 9, and First Chronicles 5, 1, 7, and 17, and First Chronicles 23 and 11, where people are not even counted individually, but are counted by the family name as a family unit. That's First Chronicles 23, 11. The same thing is mentioned again in a little bit slightly different way, but it means the same. First Chronicles 23, 24, where people are counted by the number of names. So these things are all incredible. But they're the way that they are. They're the way that truth really is. And if you can, if you can follow with me today and get into this today, you are, you, you are going to have an awakening here before we finish this teaching because I'm laying out these things to open your minds. And I am, I'm referring to some incredible, wonderful revelation. I wish I had the time to open up all these accounted genealogy scriptures. But I want you to know that there is also a scripture in the book of, of Matthew where Matthew talks about two different sets, three different sets of the 14 generations going back in time. And for instance, David is at the head of one of the sets. And then that is given 14 generations. Then repeats the next set and it starts off with David again as being part of the next 14 number. So you have a repeat and a reiteration of one of the genealogies in there twice to make up the numbers of 14, 14, and 14. And that's only a part of it. And unless you understand that by the spiritual insight, then you, you look at the Bible and you just see it full of errors. 
But when you understand it by the word of God, and you understand all the different kinds of God accounting that were used, and why and how and the, and the, the totality of it, then it is an awesome, incredible thing. And when you are able to put this into a proper uh, uh, assimilation of counting and a proper deduction of counting, then you can know the ages and you can know the mystery of the time. And that's what I want to open for you today. I want to open the mystery of the time. Janet Lee is going to play for five minutes. God bless you.
Thank you, Janet Lee. That was beautiful. And uh, here we go, folks. I'm going to not say waste any time. Uh, just for your benefit, uh, in the first chapter of, of St. Matthew, uh, chapter 1 and verse 17, uh, it says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. So you have David being uh, on the list of 14 the first time. You have David being on the list uh, the second time. And there are many, many other things we could say about this. Uh, it's It's got a beautiful meaning here. I'm not taking anything away from it. But when people don't understand these applications, you know, then they don't know uh, what the Bible is really teaching. Uh, for instance, one thing is most people don't know that the Bible specifically says that David has not ascended uh, and and that uh, other scripture says that David is going to come back and he's going to be uh, reinstated as being over Israel. And uh, that's in the Bible. Uh, so, you know, David is going to be king again. And and so it depends how then you use the understanding of that in this special revelation of of the of the fourteen fourteen you know of of the three times fourteen generations. And once you know that about the second David, then it puts a whole new twist to the meaning of this thing about David and of this thing about time. Okay, so let's just keep rolling here. Now, we know that at the bush, at the burning bush, Moses met Yahweh El. And I could get into the thing. I've done it before. I, I don't want to, you know, take us away too far from things. But the Bible says, you know, when it, it talks about the special uh, secret combination of letters, which is YHWH, uh, and that is supposed to be a you know a a, a word represent a word that's that's too sacred to to an, uh, you know even pronounce. Uh, I think you know a lot of that came from the Jews who lost the pronunciation of it, who lost the meaning of it, and so rather than uh, say that they just said, "Yeah, it's too too divine to even pronounce." Um, uh, and yet, um, what they do in in the English translations, like of King James and most of the Bibles, is whenever this Y H W H appears in the Bible, they put the word Lord L O R D. But so that you'll know that the word was from the Y H W H, the the Lord uh, has caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So every time you see that in the Old Testament, especially capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, what really was written there was YHWH. Now, the scholars came up with the word. Uh, they used to say uh, Je Jehovah, but they found out that that was an error because the J was a German intrusion, and uh, it uh, it should not have replaced the Y. So they finally got rid of that and the Jehovah thing, and they went to Yahweh. Now, you know, uh, I'm not going to put that down. I'm not going to knock it. Uh, 
uh, but I'm going to say that, that we have a better and more accurate translation. And so when we use the word Yaviel, here's how it works. Um, when in, in Jewish writ, uh, a lot of times you double the consonants. A lot of times you add the vowels in order to know what the word is. So you have Y-H-W-H. Now, it's a known fact in Hebrew that the W and the V have equal status. So one can replace the other. And they both can mean the same thing. So if you have the Y-H-W-H and then you add a, a, a vowel in between the Y, the first Y and the first H, you know, the vowel being an A, you have Yah. And then if you change the W to, to uh, because it's, you might call it inharmonic, uh, just like on, a, on, a, on a, a scale, you have F sharp. But F sharp is also G flat. But they're the same tone, although they have a different name. That's the same, like this W is also a, can be a V. They both mean the same thing. So, but but there is there is a slight differentiation uh, that can be um, a, 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 that can be additional that comes out uh, of these uh, uh, W or the V according to to how you use it. Uh, we use Y and add the A to end the between the H. We got Yah. We put a V there, and and um, we add the the. Um, uh, the valve A to it, and so it gives us a va. Va then means an. Now this is all legal to do this in 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 uh, uh, you know um, the the uh, accounting or the in translation work uh, of Hebrew, and so now we got yah and. Now you have H, and because you have H, uh, then that can be an abbreviation of YH or Y-A-H. And so now you've got yaw and yaw. And, and that, that yaw and yaw, we pronounce it yaw they l We use the word L because we want to show yaw vl as the greater yaw and the lesser yaw. And someone says, you're making uh, uh, Jesus Christ the lesser yaw. Yes, we are, because the Father and the Son uh, the Father is the greater, the Son is the lesser. And when you talk of Jesus Christ, you're talking about the name that was given for salvation, which name the Bible says uh, will be changed in the book of Revelations. They say he'll be given a new name. So, so we know that that because it's, it you know it is a name uh, that is uh, transit transit uh, with uh, humans because as as a brother and so forth that that Yahvehel is a perfect way to say it and that takes care of the Exodus meaning of I am and I am so you've got Father and Son and the Holy Spirit of course is in the Father. Okay, that's a little fast, but that have to be for now. Hopefully, we'll be able to get back to these accounted genealogy scriptures. Now, we have Moses talking with Jesus at the bush. We don't know how many days, maybe even weeks, that this went on. But it was an important meeting, and it wasn't just, hello, see you later, goodbye. And a lot of things was revealed to Moses at that point so that he could understand what the call of his ministry was about genealogies. Because 
How did Moses know these things about the creation? He was told them. He, was, he met a, his divine escort, Yaviel, and Yaviel told him these things. He even told him some things in advance that hadn't even happened yet. Plus, he helped him to understand things that had happened. Like, for instance, to understand Noah and the flood and, and what really happened there. Well, let me cover this, uh, if, I, if I may. In um, 1958, that's not that long ago, on July 9th of, of that year, there was an earthquake. And it was 7.9 on the Richter scale. And as a result of that earthquake, there was such a sudden displacement of water that it resulted in a wave. You could call it a tsunami, a tsunami wave. And this wave, now get a hold of this. This is an actual thing that was recorded and that happened in 1958. was hundreds of meters high. Hundreds of meters high. So that it washed over the trees. And the wave reached a height, a height of 524 meters. That's 1,720 feet. It was 143 meters taller than the Empire State Building. Wow. Now, I told you this because I want you to understand something about the revelation of Moses. Or pardon me, well, the revelation of Moses, yes, about Noah. And the part that's an invisible Bible. For instance, when the Bible tells us that in Genesis 7.20, that there was 15 um, cubic meters, 15 cubits, rather, 15 cubits of water that raised, that rised, and that therefore the water uh, waters covered all the high mountains. When you understand that this 15 cubits, as is translated in the International Bible, and as is translated in other Bibles, like the Good News Bible, that it only represents 20 to 22 feet of flood water level. Now, how can in any, whatever way you would normally explain it, could you make that 20 feet to cover all of the mountains? Well, you can just add a bunch of words like they did in the International Bible, like they did in several of the other Bibles, but like they did not do in the King James, which is still the most, fa was still the most popular Bible in the world. And you can make it that, well, he's just talking that, the, that the, the flood reached 20 to 22 feet above all the tallest mountains. And you can do that if you want to, to give an answer that is not a proper answer. It's got relativity in it, but it doesn't have the specific absolute value in it. And... When you use it that way, you miss out on an incredible revelation. And what that incredible revelation was is that God knew when the found 
fountains of the deep, the foundations of the deep, which the Bible talks about, that the foundations of the deep would be broken up. God knew that when those foundations of the deep were broken up, that the the, the wave and force of the tsunamis and maybe tsunamis would be so tremendous that waves would be traveling at hundreds of miles an hour. And the force would be so great that no ship built could stand it. Because before they could get elevated on the top of the wave, they would be broadsided by the wave and, cu- and crushed down upon uh, and crushed down upon by the wave. And they would not be able to stand the force of that wave, even if they were concrete. So what did God have Moses do? God had Moses put the ark, and or rather build the ark, on Mount Hermon. And God explained, Yahweh explained to, to, to Moses, how that that was to be one day the Mount of Transfiguration for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Moses understood. Moses understood. Now, Moses told this, um, uh, Yahweh told this story to Moses about Noah. Let me get my words all straight here. So that this is a story about Noah and Moses being involved in telling that story as referring from the information he was told by Yaviel. And so here we have Yaviel telling Moses that Noah was to build this ark upon this mountain. Hermon. Now, Hermon is not a, a <laughs> it's not just some dinky little mountain. We'll get into the details of that here after a bit. But first, let's get into the understanding of what this thing about the twenty, or the pardon me, the um, fifteen uh, cubits means. Moses built this, and it was no simple, easy, easy feat. But you know, they took a hundred years to do it too. And they had, they had the help of people they hired and they had the help of animals that they used. And, and the gopher wood, which had uh, a kind of butamint, a kind of, uh, you know, uh, substance in it like, like uh, tar, both inside and outside, was used to not only build the ark because of its tremendous strength uh, as a wood, but also was of the nature that it had built into it, not only on the inside of the wood, but on the outside and and the outside inside of the wood, this quality of tar. And that was available a long time ago before the flood, but didn't survive the flood because it was put there to be used by Noah. Blessed be the name of God. Now, what does this thing about displacement, this 15 cubits mean? Here's what it means. 
it means that 21 to 22 feet, when you translate it from cubits to feet, could not cover the highest mountain, couldn't even cover the lowest hill. But what it does mean is that where the ark was built on the mountain, as the flood began to rise with this level of waters, another 15 cubits or another 20, 20 to 22 feet, that was enough displacement to lift the ark above Mount Hermon. And so that tells us, number one, that the ark was built on a mountain. Number two, that where it was built on the mountain, how high it was put up there, and what would that do? Well, when the flood came uh, as it was coming, the heaviest surge of, of, of it, because, you know, Mount Hermon is a distance from the Mediterranean, which would have been some of the floodwaters, because, of course, uh, there is, a, there is a, a place where Atlantic, water, Atlantic Ocean waters can come into the Mediterranean, and the Mediterranean waters can uh, cross over into the Black Sea. But nevertheless, these waters are separated by the anti-Lebanon mountains, which um, Mount Hermon is one of the anti-Lebanon mountains with, along with Golden Heights. And right in there, in that valley, was where the Garden of Eden was, which that's not my subject today. And up on that mountain, when the flood came, you had all these big cedar trees helping to block, block it. You had then the greatest force of it, the first force of that wave, hitting the lower parts of the mountain and then beginning to swell up so that there was a displacement that occurred once you got that 20 to 22 feet of water displacement. It lifted up the ark as the waters reached where the ark was sitting on, on, uh, on um, Mount Hermon. It was lifted up and it only took that much for the displace, uh, that much of the water for the displacement, and that much of the water, which was 20 to 22 feet, to lift it up above the top of Mount Hermon. And that was the ingenious, incredible knowledge of God that did that. And so, yes, there's other scriptures we could give, but we, I can't spend my whole time on that today uh, that is just you know too much but Mount Hermon is 9,232 feet above sea level and the peak is 2,236 meters from the ground up which in terms of foot foot is 7,336 feet the southern slopes of Mount Hermon are called Golden Heights. Even in the story of Gilgamesh, 
it was written that he passed near Mount Hermon. There is a mystery here. There is a beautiful revelation here. And there's more scripture on that to make proof of many things. But you know what? The scripture says, as I told you, the foundations of the deep were broken up and that is what that was a, from a giant earthquake and created this incredible tsunami thing. You can find that in Genesis chapter 7, 10 through 11. Genesis 7, 10 through 11. Very, very incredible. Very, very interesting. Okay. Now, turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 1. We're going to get into the mystery of the time. Chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm going to be reading the King James instead of the MIV, the Manifest Peace Bible, so that we can just understand this from just how it's written. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Now we are talking physical things, but we are also talking spiritual things, because the Spirit of God moved on the waters. And we know that waters can be a very versatile word. It can represent energy. In the, the 15th chapter um, the 17th chapter and the 15th verse of Revelations, water represents nations, tongues, people, kindred, people. Water can represent water. H2O. But the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. The word A-W-R-R. And I like to connect that with aura. So that this light was a spiritual light. But it could also be because things happen in parallels. It could also represent the making of stars. We're not into this galaxy yet, but there could be stars, starlights, suns, which stars are. And God saw that the light, that it was good. Now, the proper translation for that or interpretation of that is God saw that it was to be. And that is actually uh, the correct way for it to be written. And there are several uses of that style in this uh, early part um, of, the, of the book of um, Genesis. That thing about calling this good, that good, that good, that is not whatever happened. That is not a, a best translation. And God called it 
the, the light day and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now to understand what that means, and this is very important, you have to understand that this whole thing here is about two very important factors. The first very important factor is in Genesis 1.14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. Now, someone says, well, they didn't, God didn't make the sun until this time. Well, God didn't make the sun visible until this time. But the sun and the moon were already there. And we'll get into that story as it teaches it in the Bible, in Genesis here. But let's look at this. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. To, to divide the beginning from the end. God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And there is a division between the beginning and the end. And there are, there are two things that always happen in the beginning and the end. In the Bible, throughout the whole Bible, the end always comes at harvest, the end of the world. And at the harvest comes those who are saved and those who are lost. Do not make it. And so there is both salvation and judgment. And so judgment is described with all kinds of cataclysms, terrible punishments, etc., etc. So you have the day and you have the night. You have convolution, or you have, let's start off with involution, convolution, or convolution, involution. And so convolution goes out, is creative. Involution is inside, spirals in the mind, in the brain. And it can be like the tree of good and evil. It can be both good and bad. You can have a parallel. You can be like, I said, like the tree of good and evil knowledge. It has a good side. It has a bad side. In that terminology is incorporated the night and the end. And so now, as we then look into this, and it says, and let the lights be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. So now if the lights are what is going to determine time, then we have the sun, which is a star. So everything that is applicable to the, to the sun the star, is star time. And everything that is applicable to the earth is earth time. 
So if you turn over to Genesis 2, verse 4, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. So you have generations that are divided by one and two. Generations of the heavens, star time. Generations of the earth, earth time. So now we begin to see how we must use the book of Genesis as has to do with the days. Because again, in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, these are referring to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 days. These seven days, or these six days, let's just start with the six days. But even if you add the seven days, all right, are involved in the generations divided by two issues. The generations of star time, the heavens, the universe, the generations of the earth, which includes the solar system, because that's, it's, it's part of the solar system. And they all goes around the sun. And that is how you're going to know and how you're going to count so that you know what the time of things are. So when we look then, and it says in chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, that, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good. God divided the light from the darkness, and called, God called the light day and the darkness. He called night. The evening and the morning were the first day. Okay, the first day, the first yom. We've shown you that this word yom can mean can mean forever <laughs> it can mean a day a year a day can mean a generation and we saw that in chapter 2 verse 4 these are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that the lord god made the earth and the heavens in the day so these two time differentiations. Now, when we're talking time for stars, we are always referring to billions. And so then when we say one yom, one day generation, that generative action is referring to one billion years. So now we have one day, and it has been concluded, and that is the completion of one billion years. Because we're in star time. We're not in earth time. We're in star time, and star time goes by billions. Like the, the sun is like, they say, five billion years old. And this is one yom. So it's one billion. Okay? Now let's go on to the second day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the heavens from the waters. <clears throat> and God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. 
And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So what we're dealing with are things in the heavens. We're dealing with universal time here. We're dealing with star time. So now we have the second billion. So we've got day, day one, Yom one, one billion. Day two, two billion. Two billion years so far into the making of the universe, the cosmos, which the Bible in Psalms calls it the handiwork, W-O-R-K, of God. Now, if you sit there and say, and flip your thumb and say, let it be, there's no work involved in that. But if your if you're gods go out, and the Bible does say gods, <clears throat> meaning angels of God, and they are involved in this creation as Elohim, plural, then there's work to it. There's work to it. And there's time to it. And with angels that are eternal, as long as they stay within the confines of, of their call and mission, time is no factor. Now we got two billion. Okay. And God called the firmament heaven in the evening and the morning were the second day. That's two billion. Verse 9. And God said, so we're into the second generative day, and that's two billion, because we got one billion for one day, two billion for two days. Verse 9, chapter 1 of Genesis. And God said, let the waters... Let the waters under the heaven be gathered unto one place and let the dry land appear and it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the seas called of the waters called he seas and God saw it was good or God saw it to be. And God said, verse 11, let the earth bring forth grass, herb yielding seed, and fruit yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, herb yielding seed after his kind, tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was to be or was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. We now have three billion years. Wow. Are you hanging in there with me? Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. We got three billion. Now, if we go on to the next scenario, which is the fourth day, we end up with, because it's still being done by under the sun. And there's lots of scriptures that will mention that. You know? about under the sun. You find a lot of that in Proverbs. So that everything is concluded as being relative to what happens under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. 
we end up then having the fourth Yom generation day, which gives us four billion years. After the fourth generation, it goes to earth time. And we'll try to show that to you. But first, I've got to go back and tell you some of these happenings. It goes to earth time. And so then we have a different kind of, of, of time because we go by the multiples of millions, thousands, and hundreds. Understanding that within the, the um, totality of these numbers, all of the lesser numbers are incorporated but are not the specific demonstration of the application that that number is referring to when it is in reference to star time or in reference to earth time, but can come in a breakdown of relative factors. Now let's go back on these creation days. And let's go back to verse um, 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together. Now, he wants to distinguish this particular thing. It's referring to waters under the heavens. It's still within the universal concept of, of creation. But he's doing something here. Let the waters under the heaven... Be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. It wasn't that there was not land already there. That in this process of the billions of years, there was a core of the earth, an iron-like core of the earth with its magnetic properties. And there was all of the solidifications and material of the earth. But all of the earth was covered with waters. There was no land visible. It was a water world. So there was a time, as we get into these billions of years, in the creativity, and someone says, oh, I don't know how that could be. I know you don't. That's why I'm here today to help you. That's why when the scientists go out and they use these particular kind of methods of measuring, some of which are very accurate and good, of the three different kinds of measurement that they use, that they find rocks going back four billion years in measurement of time. Four billion. And so, at this time, which is after the second billion years going into the third billion, the whole earth was there, but it was covered with water. And God said, let the dry land appear. It was there, but it, didn't, it, it couldn't appear. And it's like that thing with the light. The light of the stars, they were there, but it didn't appear. 
Why? Well, with a water world, you're going to have so much moisture up in the air and in the atmospheres that there is going to be, it's going to be in, in, enveloped by that moisture to such a point that it blocks out all the radiation from the sun light. And here was the water world, evident by the scriptures, is here. The, the ground didn't appear because it was covered with water. The light didn't appear because the earth was covered with a haze from all the moisture that was in the air. And the sunlight couldn't get through the thickness of it, except in a very minor way. And God said, let the dry land appear, and it was so. Now what happened? <laughs> well, what happened, when it uses this word, bring it all into one place, gathered together in one place, that word place is very interesting because it has an associate or a, a relative root that means to rise, R-I-S-E. So what it means when it was taught about this one place, it means actually that there began to be a rise of this ground that was invisible. And what was happening? Volcanoes. Volcanoes were coming up and rising up out of the waters and causing the, the earth stratus to warp and to begin to have sloping. And as these volcanoes came up and they began to, to explode, and magna began to be showered so that it was all over the world as the debris began to come down it began to to bring down the haze of the moisture it began to cause mountains and terrain to rise up and channels to appear even in the oceans, great canyon channels began to appear. And there began to be channels for seas, S-E-A-S. And this is what was happening on this third billion years of the creation. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass. Now, you've got enough land out there for there to be vegetation. Now, just because it says, and let this happen, and let that happen, didn't mean that in the snap of a finger it happened. Because we discover in the second chapter of Genesis, 
something very, very interesting in verse 5. Well, verse 4 says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field, every. There's no exception. You can't say, well, there was some back there that grew, and then there was some that started to grow from this other thing. Uh Uh-uh. Every plant of the earth before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth. There was not a man to till the ground either. So you didn't need any, any rain. <laughs> and in that situation of that third universe that we described, uh, you know, it, it, it was not of the nature uh, for, there to, for there to be rain. This, this landmass had to rise. This volcanic action had to happen. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass. That was something that was going to happen. That was a plan that was implemented. But before any of these plants, before any of these herbs were ever grew in the earth, there was a continuum that had to happen. There was a process of time, the Bible calls it. A process of time that had to occur before those things would be fully fulfilled. Now, when you start getting these kinds of explosive things into the air, like the volcanic debris, you get emissions of carbon. And a lot of people have no idea how many, uh, how the, the various kinds of gases that can cause uh, what is called the global warming. A lot of people have no idea. Like I've had people say, well, I don't believe that any of this carbon emissions that humans are making has anything to do with global warming. And what's the reason? Because, hey, before there was ever man-made carbon emissions, there's been ice ages before, and they've had meltdowns. And so it's just a regular cyclic thing. No, it is not. That's a mistake. That's an error. That's disinformation. You go back in time, and when you study these ice ages, you will discover the methane that was at the bottom of the seas that was ripped up and that came up and was dispersed into the atmospheres the carbon dioxide that was dispersed into the atmospheres. And in all these different kinds of events between the volcanoes and all of those things, there was carbon dioxide and methane and other gases that can cause global warming that were dispersed into the atmospheres. So just because carbon dioxide is being added into the atmosphere by humankind, that's just one source. But it does have an effect. We're not saying it's the totality of the cause. But it has an effect, and we know right now that there is global warming happening. But this ice age that we're in, come on, goes, it's the same ice age that, that occur, began to happen two 
and a half million years ago. We're in the same ice age. It's two and a half million years old. And when we refer to these additional ice ages and gladiations, glaciations, we are referring to meltdowns that happen, but it doesn't totally dissolve all of the ice. at the North or South Pole. At least not for a very long time if it ever did. So it's just meltdowns that, just, you know, and, and I would like to get into the thing about Moses and his revelation, which is he got this all from God. And Then I want to take you into next week, into the creation's that are on earth time and show you the differentiations. And I want to go into this thing about the, the ice ages. And I want to show you how that they're not, they're not cyclic because they aren't even times. It's just like this volcano that hasn't blown, you know, in Yellowstone. There's a few times that it, within a certain designated number of years it, it blew. But, you know, it's way, 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 way past that now. It's not a cycle. Because it's not evenly, evenly strummed. It's a happening. And it happens because of certain things. And those are all important. Ladies and gentlemen, this is about the mystery of the time. And I have so much more to share, share with you. And... Next week, I'm going to continue to share this story and go right on through the days of creation and the creation of man and the whole story and the relativity of it. The ark is coming up the road, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to happen. In the meanwhile, I want you to be prayerful and thankful. I got a letter last night from, uh, I call him JJ, and he had another whole list of incredibly good questions. I didn't have time to work it in today, and I'm not positive that I'll be able to work it in next week, but I might, to work in a few of them. But if not, the following week after that, after the next. They're very good questions, and I really appreciate them. Also, good news with Betty McDonald and her uh, last noted state of health to me. Still very weak, still not a 100% totally cured person, but she's had a lot of people praying and she's had uh, medical help and a procedure that they did on her uh, heart has... Uh, really helped her and we feel that she is on the road to recovery at least with all our heart that's what we want to believe and we have to believe because we we need larry and betty mcdonald but more specifically because we love them and we want them to be a part of our part that is a part of this great work of god and I want you to also pray for another dear lady.
that is has offered to do work for the ministry. I don't know how she does what she does do, but she is nearly blind, and her kidney is basically not functioning. She's on dialysis, has a machine in her home, and all kinds of other situations. Her name is Shonda, and I am believing in a miracle of healing for her, that God will restore her kidney and will restore her sight at least to a great deal. And I'd like you to pray for Shunda. I spell that S-H-U-N-D-A. There may be a different spelling to it, but I like that spelling. And I'd like you to pray for her and still pray for Betty McDonald. Let me pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I offer, God, to you these two persons that I have just mentioned for your love, your mercy, your tender, loving care for them. And all the people out there listening who have body needs, they are ill in health. They are just not where they need to be. Heal them, oh God. We love them. And open up their ears and their minds, all the listeners, to this word. And give them patience to wait on this word. And understand that we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May God bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine on you. We love you so much. Thank you for all the help that you do. Thank you. God bless you. Until next week.